1: So, the Las Vegas Raiders, in a 17 word statement on Friday, fire team president Dan Vantrelli, who took over from Mark Bedain, who stepped down last year. There's been a long list of Raiders executives who have left in recent months. The Raiders added no details, no facts, no allegations. There's all sorts of speculation rocketing around the NFL grapevine about different things that may have happened. Nobody knows. But we may get to the bottom of it because Vantrelli issued a statement on Friday night saying that he was fired after raising with the NFL allegations that have been made about Mark Davis of misconduct in the worst workplace, hostile work environment. Now, he doesn't say directly and specifically these were allegations of hostility directed toward females. But at one point, Van Trulli says, I am at all times going to protect the organization and its female employees. So it doesn't take an advanced degree in linguistics to understand what Ventrelli is trying to say. The question is, can he prove it? How will he try to prove it? He's retained counsel. Well, you know what's going to happen, Chris. It's going to be something that ends up, at least if the NFL gets its way in the secret rigged kangaroo court, and we'll never know any of the allegations. We'll never hear anything about it. We'll never know what Ventrelli alleged or what the facts may have shown or didn't show or what the truth may be or may not be or what the outcome will be we may hear about the outcome and usually the outcome is the team that is paying part of the commissioner's salary ends up winning so uh we'll see how it goes it's not like mark davis has been one of the one of the favorite owners in recent years but even then um it this is one of those things where if it plays out in an open court a lot more focus, a lot more attention, a lot more scrutiny, a lot more transparency. If it plays out in the court of Roger Goodell, we won't know what the hell happened, and that's the way the NFL
2: tends to like it. That's right. I mean, and that's kind of where I expect it to go. I mean, ultimately, you know, unless you know Dan Ventrell continues to speak publicly and his lawyer continues to speak publicly, and he lets it play out in the court of public opinion, uh, again, that seems really going to be the only way. That I've come to determination. I feel like that, or you know, people that are a part of these situations are going to be able to fight back, because the like you're talking about, the judicial system that's set up through the NFL, the CBA, everything, whatever. It's not really just. It's not justice at the end of the day. It's like you said. It's kangaroo court. It's sided one way. So uh, it just. You know, I don't know what to think here. I mean, again, it's just not a good look for the Raiders. They're, they're, yeah, they've just dealt with the John Gruden stuff. And not only is it not good on, you know, Mark Davis and the Raiders, but it's just this continuing fight of the NFL against changing their culture and, and workplace behavior and how people are treated in those certain situations Here's another, you know, spotlight going to mean, you know, we're going to have dissect this and where's this going to go? And, uh, and it's just another headache for the NFL, not a good look. And look, I don't want to use the silence of the Raiders since Friday night I know, against
1: right. them, but, right. but, but, but pretty big accusation by the team's former president who was ousted with a 17-word statement on Friday. If he says that these allegations were made, Mark Davis was dismissive, he passed them along to the league, and then he gets fired in retaliation for communicating these concerns. I'd like to think that a 17-word statement saying everything that guy said is bullcrap would be in order. Something to respond to the grenade that he threw back into the Raiders organization with the statement that was issued on Friday night. Now, maybe we'll get it today. I don't know. But it just seems like something. Well, it's not a good look. We went went through this. We went through this with the commanders a few weeks ago. Right. When the allegations were made, specific detailed allegations of financial improprieties of two different types. There was a 18 page letter that was sent by the commander's lawyer. To the Federal Trade Commission, and it was released to the media, and it and it had statements and, and and quotes and just chapter and verse detail as to why the former employee who was saying all these things is wrong. And hey, they got to hash it out at some point. But it's the kind of public reaction that makes me think, well, hey, maybe they are innocent. If you're screaming it like this, if you you know, maybe maybe, y'all, maybe the Raiders are working on it. Maybe they're hiring the same lawyer to say, do do for us what you did for Washington. But at the end of the day, there's enough there that somebody needs to investigate it. The problem is if the investigation unfolds in a secret, rigged kangaroo court of an arbitration with Roger Goodell or whoever he taps on the shoulder presiding, it's not going to be the kind of thing that really gets to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's the problem.
2: No, it's not. I mean, will there be things fixed? Sure. But the NFL, yes. I mean, they're they're going to try to fix this. But yeah, it's going to be quietly under their own terms. Nobody's going to know. You're right. We're not going to know some of the details, how bad something might have been. You know, do I think the NFL wants to correct this? 100%. Yes. But they want to correct it and get it done at their own pace on their own time without a lot of media scrutiny or having to deal with that. I, I, do, I do think that. But yeah, by all due accounts, the way this looks just publicly, we've been in this situation before. You and I, we follow football all the time. It looks like Oh, here's longtime employee brought something that wasn't cool with the owner and maybe brought it to the league and they didn't like that. And it was like, hey, screw you. How dare you do that? And, you know, have morals and and check our organization like that. You're out of here. That's what it looks like. Again, I don't know that. And it's early on, but it just it certainly has the look of that.
1: The last thing the NFL needs is another investigation into allegations of misconduct directed toward female or minority employees. Because remember, it was the letter that was sent by six attorneys general to the NFL several weeks ago saying, we're watching you and we reserve the right to investigate and take action to prosecute if there are crimes that have been committed. So the NFL is already on the radar screen of the law enforcement officers at the top of the food chain in six different states. They don't need this playing out publicly. They don't want it playing out privately. They don't want it playing out anywhere. But if they do have a situation, and the NFL did issue a statement Friday night saying it will immediately explore the allegations made by Ventrelli, then then so be it. But see, this this is the balancing act. How transparent are you with something like this? How much of it truly plays out In a way that the public and the media can understand it, can look at it, can make determinations in the court of public opinion as to whether or not something happened that shouldn't have happened. Because the NFL at the end of the day does not want its dirty laundry hanging in the public square. It wants to be transparent. And Jerry Jones had some quotes to Bob Costas in November or thereabouts saying, hey, you know, we want people to pay attention to us. We can't complain when they do. That's the balancing act for the NFL. And the media, I think, Chris, has a big role in that because we can either accept whatever lack of transparency they, there is, whatever games they play to try to push the case into the secret rigged kangaroo court, which it is. I keep saying that. I, I keep waiting for the complaint from 345 Park Avenue. Why does Florio keep calling our internal arbitration procedures a secret rigged kangaroo court? My response will be because it is. Because it is. Because it is secret, because it is rigged, and because it is a kangaroo court, if you don't like that term, look up what a kangaroo court is that's what the commissioner conducted arbitration It's not rules of procedure and evidence it's not a fair shake it's whatever the person who's running the arbitration feels like allowing in as evidence and oh oh, well, oh, this decision was made in a way that makes it harder for you to prove your case well, that's a shame. Bang the gavel you lose that's what a secret rigged kangaroo court does, so. Um, they need greater transparency. They need to embrace these flaws and not play a PR game with it. If they got problems, they need to address them. They need to investigate them. They need to solve them. Chris, you can't have it both ways. You can't create the impression no, that we're doing everything we can while you're hiding. It goes, it's a Brian Flores litigation in a nutshell. These are serious issues that we need to fully explore and develop, but we'll do it on our own. Yeah, We, don't, we right. don't need any help from the court system. Right. We don't need any prying eyes. We don't need the media looking or paying attention to what the testimony may be. We'll take care of it ourselves down the hall in the locked conference room uh, around the corner. You, you stay here. We'll get back to you when it's over. We'll come back to you and tell you that we win. Just wait here. We'll, we won't be all that long, unless we are.
2: It's just it's the NFL. They're they're in transition through this period here still, and we're seeing it. Just the old school, the, N, the old school NFL, a little, and some of the workplace culture is just not worthy of 2022 workplace culture, and I think uh, the NFL is we, knows that. And I think there's a lot of teams that are are plenty acceptable, and do have the right workplace culture. Um, and I don't know why, but it seems like it's always the teams with kind of the younger coaches, and they got a new young vibe to them a little bit too. But we've talked about this before. There's just a there's an old school mentality in a lot of these buildings in the NFL that you know just doesn't fly anymore. And this kind of sounds like it might be one of those two. So I don't know where this goes. You know, ultimately, I like you're saying. I don't oh. think. Yeah, go ahead. What? I'm not passing judgment. Yeah, I, know I don't you're not. know. All I know no, is this know. accusation's been
1: made. Right. I want it to be investigated in a way that is fair and transparent. Right. Not, not we're going to pull it into our secret rigged kangaroo court and we'll get back to you. It it needs something more than that. And, and and also also, I I said half jokingly on Friday night, paging Mary Jo White, at a certain point. You can no longer call her independent when she has become the basically this captive <laughs> right. outside lawyer who gets brought in to put out whatever fire you want her to put out. She's no longer independent because people who exercise true independence often aren't invited back to exercise independence in the future because at some point you are going to say something to the powers that be that they don't want to hear. And they regret hiring somebody who was independent. You're being too damn independent, Mary Jo. Don't you understand how this dance works? That's the thing that the NFL gets indignant about that too. But that's the way it works. I lived in that world. I know how that works. You're not independent. You are dependent on getting the next assignment and getting the next assignment. The NFL is a huge company, a cost-insensitive client, as the big law firms like to say, You love doing work for the NFL because it takes a lot of time. It generates a lot of money. And if you do the job right, they're going to have other problems too because they can't get out of their own way.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I wonder with situations like this is just a little of sometimes of like, you know, I, I just wonder with like Mark Davis, how it goes down, how this went down with Dan Ventrell, you know, Was it, I mean, man, when you, when you fire him and release him of his duties, he's free to talk and do whatever, you know, again, he brought these to the league. I don't know. I would just, I would love to know the efforts to smooth this over or get Dan to, Hey, Dan, you know, okay, we'll fix this, do it, whatever. But you know, that's the other part that I always just wonder about these situations a little bit specifically to this Raiders one is just how bad was it? How bad was the conversation or whatever that you go, wait. I'm going to fire the guy so now he can make a public spectacle of it and really put my name and everything in the spotlight for a lot of bad reasons. Uh, that that is scary in itself as well and that that's where I'm always a little shocked it comes to this point, you know, with some of these NFL teams because now the dirty laundry gets aired instead of hey, let's keep him in here, you know, like keep your friends close but your enemies closer. Let's keep him here and try to soothe this over so we don't have to deal with the blowback and everything and the whole league doesn't have to deal with it. Uh, I'm always intrigued by that aspect as well. And the
1: the other reality too is, and they've already told us we need to take a break, but I want to say this one thing, and it may become more than one thing. Um, A lot of times this isn't about what happened and fleshing out the facts and coming up with a fair and appropriate punishment that respects the precedent that's been created by past decisions. It's just, you know what? We're kind of pissed off at Mark Davis now for whatever reason. We we either like him or we don't like him. We want to find that he did it or we want to find that he didn't do it. Where the NFL wants to be at the outcome of these investigations and then working backward, that's why Mary Joe White keeps getting the work. She gives them what they want, in my opinion. I don't need to get sued over this. This is my opinion of the way this works. And the fact that she keeps, you know, they got the speed dial for Mary Joe White anytime one of these comes up. She figures out what they want. And she works backward to give them what they want. That's what I believe happens. And I don't want to get you triggered over Deflate Gate, but when Ted Wells was brought in, I think the unspoken message was this is what we want. And we want a 500 page report that's going to justify what we yeah, want. I hear you. It shouldn't be about what they want. It shouldn't be we like Mark Davis. We don't like Mark Davis. We like Dan Snyder. We don't like Dan Snyder. We like this guy we don't like this guy. That shouldn't be part of it. It shouldn't be what the commissioner wants the end result to be. And that this may just be some fortunate way that we can go hammer Mark Davis at a time when we'd love to, or, or we really like Mark Davis. We're going to find a way to give him a pass here. That that's not how it should work, but that's how it, that's how it, it does work. Now, and I'm sure that this is true of most American businesses where this discretion can be exercised, but that doesn't mean we should be quiet. You know, they try to create the sense that they're doing things in a fair and objective and and even-handed way. The reality is, you know, they want to hammer the Saints for Bounty Gate. They're going to hammer the Saints. And if, if they want to ignore that other teams had the same damn kind of program going on for years, they'll ignore it, which is exactly what they did. They wanted to get the Saints. They didn't want to go get Greg Williams at any other stop he'd been on where he had done similar things over the past 15 years, if not longer, they just wanted to get the Saints. And that was it. So what they want to get, who they want to go after, that, that that's just part. That's part of this. And you got to understand those political realities with the NFL when something like this comes along, because it's not about doing a pristine investigation and letting the facts take you wherever they may. It's trying to get the facts to take you to where you want to go.
2: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I don't, you know, I, I don't disagree with anything you said there. I think you're right. You're spot on there, you know. Even even with your Deflate Gate part there, because you know, there's more. Yes, I got, I got you. I hear you. They there's a narrative. There's an outcome they want. She can fit that, and I understand that.
1: Deflate Gate. They could have. There was enough there. They could have reached whatever decision they wanted to reach. And a good lawyer can navigate through whatever the facts are to get you to where you want to be it's where you want to be that is what matters good lawyers get you there they'll set aside the evidence that undermines the path that they want to to cut and they'll focus on the facts that do if it's ever clear if it's ever so clear there's no way you can cut a path through the facts to get to where you want to be, then why are we even here? Yeah, that's right. Anytime you've got a muddled situation, you can find something to support what it is that you want to do. And that's, that's my biggest complaint here, that the NFL, when it comes to these types of issues, is not guided by a sense of whatever the facts will reveal, we will objectively assess and punish accordingly. It's all a means to an end and the end is predetermined. And we have to, we have to, I know that's cynical, but it's, it's, it's accurate. I've been following this long enough to know it is entirely accurate. Let's take a break. Something that is not very accurate at all. Crystal ball. We each have one. We're gonna get our crystal balls out, and we're gonna do that thing that you do. What do they do? Sorcery. Like, I want to be. I want to be careful because if you say crystal the wrong thing, and all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden, you got you got ghosts in your house, which is I got an, I got enough living things in my house to deal with. I don't need any ghosts in my house. So I'm gonna be careful about any incantations I may utter when we pull out our crystal balls next on this Monday edition of PFT Live.
2: Would you say you are, we're all in on that kid right there, or we're all in for this year, let's see how he plays? It's a different question. Yeah, no, we're all
1: in on Justin. Um, I believe in Justin. Our staff believes in Justin.
2: And like I said from the beginning, we're going we're gonna to set this up for him to succeed. And I know I've got a lot of questions, but what about receiver? What about we're going to do the best we can with the
1: roster. We're going to improve the roster as well, but we're also going to get the scheme. We're going to get the technique. And our coaches
2: are hard at work, and so is Justin.
1: Ryan Pohl the GM of the Chicago Bears. They're all in on Justin Fields. They're not acting like they're all in on justice. Yeah, that's the, that's the issue. I think you're right. Right. Bears fans get, get really pissy about this. But I, I, all, I, all I know is, and I know the team wasn't, wasn't spectacular last year, but it feels like they are tearing down consciously. I don't know if they have a four-year plan like Paul DiPodesta De devised for the Browns, but it feels like they are consciously tearing down what's there with the goal of rebuilding. Well, usually when you do that, you don't have a young franchise quarterback. Part of the rebuilding process is we get the young franchise quarterback. When you see the house being torn down around the young franchise quarterback, it seems confusing because at some point they're going to play games and at some point they're going to struggle. And at some point people are going to say, "Well, oh, your young franchise quarterback isn't very good. Now, maybe he's so good he rises above it. I've had that argument with some folks on radio in Chicago, not in a hostile way, just kind of a hey, you know what? Maybe Fields is so good it doesn't matter. But it's just th- this is the time in his career when you should be adding pieces around him, taking advantage of the the salary of the young quarterback before it goes haywire, not creating the impression you're tearing it down. What are you tearing it down for? You're in year two with your supposed franchise quarterback, so I feel like we're getting
2: mixed signals from the Bears. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I get that. And, you know, again, it's, it's mixed signals. And even for them, I think it's risky a little. I do, because I do think that, you know, the success of Justin Fields and how he looks on the team is going to dictate a little bit how Eberflus and Ryan Poles are looked at there in Chicago. That's where I would just say it's a little dicey for them, but they're trying to build a team and they got a lot of things they got to fix. So I think that's the issue they've kind of like fallen into here is the crazy wide receiver market. And then, whoa, not only we're, like, rebuilding, but we have a coach that has a totally different play style and philosophy than the coaches we had here prior, and they're trying to fit, you know, they're trying to fit that new scheme with the players that are appropriate for the new scheme, and there is a difference there. And within that, because there's so many changes and drastic needs everywhere across the roster, especially when they're changing their style of play and the kind of guys they're looking for, that it does seem like, yeah, Weapons around Justin Fields uh, are limited, and like, hey, yeah, he he showed he played good last year. He played very good. I was he played better than I expected. Not you know me, I was one of those. It was a little bit of a detractor. I loved it. I love the guy. I do, but like, I'm not ready to sit here and tell you, oh, he's so good that he doesn't need these guys. Like that 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 first off is rare. All right, I think that's a dicey proposition. And like we've talked about, the great quarterbacks of all time. Still had people there to help them out. Patrick Mahomes was not struggling with talent around him early on in his career. So I think that's part of this as well, and that's where I just, I don't I don't quite understand that because I think it's like a little dicey for their own lives and what they're doing, putting their own pressure, putting their own pressure on Poles and eberflus by not giving him a lot of talent around him or explosive receivers. And, and look, here's the bottom line. You have new
1: management. Chicago this is why I was so stunned by the move last yeah I know why we talk about pace and former coach Matt Matt Nagy to give up this year's first round pick to move from 20 to 12 to get Justin Fields and I remember thinking hey this is good news if they let them do this if ownership let them do this
2: they must have another year
1: sign right That they have more than one year. Well, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. And it's the height of dysfunction to let your coach and GM sacrifice next year's first-round pick to go get a quarterback and then fire those guys after one year and hope, fingers crossed, that the new regime is going to embrace the guy. Because no matter what, Justin Fields is a vestige of the old regime. So... You got new guys there trying to prove themselves, and you got the quarterback that the guys who weren't good enough to keep the job thought were good. Well, you know, we kind of think those guys weren't very good. They got fired, but we like their quarterback, so they must have done something right. I mean, there are some complex human ego and emotions that get tied up in this, and, and, and this is why... I'm always suspicious that a new regime is going to look to undermine the quarterback they inherit and go get their own guy. We're capable of finding our own guy. And we don't know whether or not Matt Eberflus was a Justin Fields guy. We don't know if Ryan Poles was a Justin Fields guy. We don't know how closely they scouted them or looked at at fields or, or what they thought of fields. But I guarantee you this. When they're under consideration to be hired by the Chicago Bears, they're not going to walk through the door and say, "This quarterback you drafted last year is not my kind of guy." They're not going to say, they're not going to lead with that, or they ain't going to get the job. Definitely not. So, no. Th- that's that's what fascinates me about this, and all I can all I can do is make assessments based on on what's happening, and what's happening is they're tearing it down around him. Yeah, that doesn't scream out to me that they believe this is a guy to build around.
2: Yeah, I, I know. You know, I, I I guess I won't go that far. Maybe this is the process they're going on. You're right. But all the things you said are true. You know, maybe they're just looking at it like, hey, we got to tear it down. We got the quarterback. And, yeah, we might have to take a, a step back to take two steps forwards. Maybe that's what they're doing. You know, just to, to totally change the culture, new guys in the building, get away from the Nagy era. I think bottom line, though, except for the quarterback, that's what's weird. Well, that's what's we weird. have to change things. You're right. We have to
1: tear it down, except for the quarterback. Well, that's we where, have to we have to look for new ways of doing things, except for the quarterback. That's what. That's where I can't reconcile. That's
2: well, because I think the, what we're getting back to here, and where I was going, I think we're at the same place. Is why the f did ownership let the last staff? hire draft Justin Fields in that type of situation. If you knew it was a make or break year, why would you let that go down? And I know during that period leading up to that draft, you and I, we had a ton of conversations. A lot of people in football did. but I don't think the Bears will really take Justin Fields even at 20 because I, I don't. Th- this is their last year. Their, their butts are on the hot seat. Same thing we're talking about with Matt Rule right now and why they didn't draft a quarterback in Carolina. It's the same thing. And I got a lot of flack because, remember, if you remember, I I put Justin Fields as, like, pick 30 or 31 in my mock draft, and I just kept going, well, because the Bears were the team I looked at and went, I don't think ownership that would do that and let them do that. It doesn't make sense to me. So that is the issue at hand. And most of football believes that Nagy and the last crew did that because they thought it was going to be a political play to save them one more year, even if they got on the hot seat. It was like a it's so it, that to me was you know an organization not being on the same page, and that's really what and, it goes and, back to
1: the, look look, I don't know what Ted Phillips' current responsibilities are, but but that's the name that guy has survived <laughs> and, and ownership loves him, and they trust him but but look at some point somebody's got to be responsible for this. somebody's got to answer to George and Virginia McCaskey and say you know at, at, at what point and and look this I don't know do they ever have the tough conversation did George McCask ever get Ted Phillips on the phone and say why in the hell did you let these guys do this why did we do this can you run this by me again why we did this let's go back well you know we can't really focus on the past the past is prologue no i want to focus on the past why did we do this when we when we weren't sold on pace and Nagy, we we let them trade up and give up our first round pick this year, which would have been a pretty good pick, <laughs> would've been a top ten pick. And they give it up yeah. to get a quarterback that uh didn't play well enough to save their jobs. And new management, like I said, new management isn't gonna be it's just not All right. it's gonna be as warm and fuzzy. So get
2: anyway. your damn crystal ball. So what's a successful right, season? Ball. Yeah, you lost the damn sight of what the hell the, the segment is. Crystal I know, ball. I know, but, but, but it, was <laughs> no, it was a useful conversation. conversation. Crystal
1: ball's out. <laughs> crystal ball's out. Justin Fields this year. What is a successful season? I'd say it's at least be in the playoff conversation. The NFC is wide open. Wide open. Once you get past the Rams, the Buccaneers, and the Packers, you got four playoff spots up for grabs. Yeah. And – I'd like to think the bears have enough there that they can be in the conversation and uh, a successful season for Justin Fields is at Christmas time. The bears are still alive. That's a
2: successful season. Yeah, I, I hear that. I do. I, that's probably I, honestly, I think that for me, it might be even a little too much as far as the team is concerned. I, 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 Cause I like, like we've talked about, like you're talking, I don't really know, you know, what to expect from this team right now. I don't, you know, it's a whole new offense. It's a whole new scheme on defense. It's a whole different set of personnel that they want to run these schemes to where it's like I'm not sure what to expect from the team. I just almost go like I just want to see Justin Fields continue to be a machine throwing the football and just go in the right direction to me as a successful season. I'm not going to put on wins and losses on his, ba- on his back right now with the current state of the, the roster, at least in, in the new coaches and everything there. There's too many unproven commodities. Just want to see growth and continue to see the guy – Dice people up in the pocket like we saw in that Pittsburgh right Thursday night game, which was probably his best game of the year. Where we went, man, look at Justin Fields making plays all over the field. That was his banner night of his rookie year. Monday uh, night, that was the, that was the I forget? Damn, Monday night roundhouse kick. Oh yes. yeah, roundhouse kick and and in the tackle uh, crap bull crap flag thrown, take a touchdown away from a team, even though it wasn't in the tackle box. Right, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, 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 that
1: was the, the – uh, somebody reached out to me and said, the NFL is very happy about the Cassius Marsh controversy because it has kept attention away from the ridiculously bad call that was made to take a touchdown Touched off the board yeah. for the Chicago Bears. Right. Uh, okay, so the Bears got their supposed franchise quarterback at a time when management was on its way out. Management's still fairly new. Here's your opposite the story. They have Zach Wilson. Right. Right, and they're building a ra- Oh Well, lo and behold – The the Jets objectively were worse than the Bears last year, and they're building around their young quarterback, not tearing it down. Let's hear a little bit from Robert Sala, head coach of the Jets, from over the weekend rookie minicamp on where Zach Wilson is entering year two.
0: Zach looks good.
1: Uh, He's definitely hit the weight room. looks beefy. Uh, <laughs> uh, in a good way in a good way he's uh, definitely filled out so uh, uh but he's still got all his looseness and, and throwing the football and zip and all that stuff so he's uh he looks good
2: he's such a meathead yeah, I mean, he, he looks he's, beefy he's, he's the only coach in football still looks, i say that
1: <laughs> he still looks 12
2: <laughs> yeah he, he still does. looks 12 you, you, you would know. be surprised so, if you saw him in person though He does look 12. I'm not his face is 12. If you saw him in person, you'd go, oh, man, he's much, you know, bigger and thicker and a more of a physical specimen than you would think, even with that baby face. That's the one thing that jumped out at me at training camp and with the Jets last year. And people think that's an insult when I say that. It's good to look young.
1: It's good, you know, for a variety of reasons, including people expect less from you when you
0: look younger that's than true you too. are. You're right. Life
1: is easier that way. Uh, but there are going to be higher expectations for Zach Wilson this year. So, crystal balls, still engaged. What's a successful season for Zach Wilson, considering he's in the conference
2: that is very top-heavy? Oh. And middle heavy and bottom heavy. And then, like, in a tough division, too. I mean, again, a division where we go, the Jets got a lot of talent on their team. And they're the fourth-best team in the division. And then you go, the third-best team in the division is the Dolphins, And they're loaded. And then, of course, you got the Patriots and the Bills. So, I mean, you're right. Between the conference and there, that's where it's a little different of a conversation, I guess, because I do, as far as Justin Fields, compared to Zach Wilson – Uh, for all the things you laid out. I I expect more from Zach Wilson. I know the Jets love him the way the season ended and then I think some of the talent I mean, this is really vice versa conversation to what we're talking about with Justin Fields, totally. They have put some pieces around him here to where you go, well, there's something to build here. You know, their offense should be pretty damn good to where my crystal ball I'd go, you know, flirting with 500 all right, and having a pretty good statistical year with a few games like we saw at the end of the last year for Zach Wilson where we go whoa there was a few games and moments in the end of the last year where we went holy crap that was pretty damn good right there and I think you just we want to see more of that statistics and then be competitive but I don't expect playoffs for the Jets yet I don't they had the three first round picks
1: they added a couple of weapons yeah. Garrett Wilson 10th overall receiver Uh Brees Hall uh, at, uh, at at running back. And uh, I, there, there's optimism and there's hope. There is, hope, right? The problem yeah. is the yeah. AFC yeah. collectively is better than it's been in that, decades. Right? Collectively. Yeah. The teams of the AFC are so good right now and so much better than the collective teams of the NFC. I don't remember an imbalance like this.
2: It, it's like the NFC all, in
1: the 80s. S- unbelievable and you're right and you're right and it may maybe it's even worse now we'll see how it goes this year and injuries are going to be a big factor but uh it's going to be hard for the jets even if that and that's what would keep me up at night if I was Robert Soller or Joe Douglas we're going to be a better team we have better players yeah. we're going to execute better right but we may not win many more games I
2: know it's crazy I know that's it's, it's where you know it's it's like the jet fan base and they got to be careful you know, about being too critical Yeah, they're a young team. They got some young talent, but they got, you know, some formidable foes in front of them. And, yeah, at base level, it just – it doesn't – you're right. The AFC totality, way better. There's talent, way better. And, like, it only looks like there's two, maybe three teams in the NFC that can really compete with those top teams in the AFC. I I almost look at it and go, Rams, 49ers, Bucks when they're healthy, okay. They're in the class there. But, yeah, it almost feels like – you know, middle 80s, early 90s, where you went, who are the best teams in football? And you would name off six teams, and you go, well, they're actually all in the NFC. We don't even think, whoa, I don't think any team in the AFC can win the Super Bowl. We said that for like 12 years. And I don't know, it seems like the stars are aligning for that feel a little here. Fields and Wilson were just two of five quarterbacks taken
1: in the first 15 selections last year. Four of those guys are the unquestioned starters for their teams one guy is not yet Trey Lance is he ready to take over in San Francisco we'll delve into that question next on this Monday edition of PFT Live
2: us what you're talking about then. Yeah, I know. And then they don't get enough attention, and they're like, why isn't more people paying attention to me? And it's like, well, I don't know. You told us to stop, so I don't know what the hell to do. I mean, what the f***? do Hey, geez. Oh,
1: <laughs> hey, whoa! Instead of yeah. taking a break and coming back and reading an apology we don't mean, let me just go ahead and say now we're not sorry it happened. Our, our producer... Not today in the chair, but who's monitoring, coordinating producer of the program, Matt Casey, texted earlier when we were talking Talking about about, our increased use of profanity that... uh we're like guys who would rob a bank and halfway down the street start yelling, we robbed the bank.
2: <laughs> Meanwhile, he's calling the cops on us here and doing a video on it, right? go, Well, you guys, yeah, you, you didn't exactly. get away with it, huh? Oh, yeah, we're going to make money and put it on a banner. And,
1: uh. Yeah, we don't need to yell it out. There's, yeah, right. a, there's a, somebody with a megaphone on the sideline who's pointing it out. Uh, anyway. Chris enjoyed his three days in his hammock with uh, his mismatched legs and face. I can't remember which is tan and which isn't, um, but uh, I digress. Pina Colada in hand, something else that wasn't pictured in the shot, smoldering below the hammock uh, as he kept it out of sight for the photo. So, uh, wrote about this on Thursday night or Friday morning, talked about it with Peter King, Trey Lance, is he ready to start? People I know, people I talk to, it comes up that the 49ers are concerned. And I don't know how concerned they are. They don't know what he can do. You don't know what a guy can do until he's the week-in and week-out starter. You just can't say, oh, okay, he's going to be fine. What did we see last year that would make us think that he is absolutely ready to take the reins this year? We're not going to know it until he starts playing like we didn't know with Patrick Mahomes until week one of the 2018 season after he'd sat on the bench all of – all of uh, his rookie year, except for week 17 against the Broncos. And it wasn't like he came out and had some spectacular day that made us say, oh boy, oh, can't wait. Here comes Mahomes. He's going to pick up where he left off week 17. So we're just not going to know until we see Trey Lance week in and week out. Defenses can game plan against him. He can rise above it or not. And, and that's when we'll see. But I, I think it is a fair question as to
2: whether or not he's ready, Chris. Well, I, yeah, I think that is that is real. I mean, we know he's raw. You know, it was simple in college. Uh, we all talked about uh, the, the talk last year. It was, man, you don't want him to sit too long because he's a guy that hasn't played and, throw, never, and threw a lot, didn't, you know, had a lot of games in college where it was like, well, he threw the ball 12 times this game, 15 times this game, you know, went a quarter without throwing the ball, never had a two-minute drill in college. So there's that. We saw talent there, though. I mean, like you see here on this highlight right here, I mean, they, he's got an explosive arm, and he's got good size, and he's a good athlete. There's no question. But, yeah, there's some some unfinished, you know, or un, unpolished things in his game, like we talked about so many times, whether in the preseason, you know, it's not an easy catchable ball that he throws. He doesn't throw spirals at times. You know, we got to see him continue to work within the pocket. But Shanahan gave us the; they think he's ready to start at the NFL owners meeting, right? That's when he said that. So I, I think that they're they're there. But are they scared a little bit or not? Not know what they're going to get? I, I think, of course, they are. You know, anybody you talk to that saw training camp last year, either that was part of the 49ers staff or when they tr- they went and worked with the the Los Angeles Chargers there, and you hear people that witness those practice, you know, they're. There had to be concern coming out of San Francisco early on in the year last year. I know there was. There was too many people that were like, Whoa, man, Trey Lance practices. Ooh, the ball's everywhere. It's this way. It's that way. It's everywhere. Ooh, man, he's not ready yet. So that's got to scare them to a degree. But at some point, like to your point, you got to rip off the Band-Aid and see what he's got. We saw a little last year. Shanahan will manage him the right way.
1: Well, and look, extra pressure on the guy when you devote three first-round picks and a third-round pick to get him. And you still have Jimmy Garoppolo there. It's a lot of pressure on a guy. And I know, hey, if he's ever going to thrive on the biggest stage in sports, he's going to be able to endure the pressure that goes along with this stage of his career. But still, it is a lot of pressure. And you have to manage it the right way. And, Chris, I remember, I think it was the preseason game against the Chargers. Yeah. Garoppolo struggled. Right. And that was Lance's opportunity. Come in and take over. I remember you being disappointed. Yeah. It was his opportunity and he didn't. And, and and you sensed that Kyle Shanahan really wanted to see him do it, and he didn't. And it wasn't long after that that the whole two-quarterback thing kind of fizzled out, right. and we only saw Trey Lance when Jimmy Garoppolo was injured. He started two games last year. He injured his knee in his first start against right. the Cardinals, which knocked him out for several weeks, which is not encouraging. You need a quarterback to be durable, especially when one of the reasons you're getting rid of the guy you have is because he isn't durable. But uh, there's, there, there is cause for concern. And I know some people are thinking that even though they were close to trading Jimmy Garoppolo and even though Kyle would like to move on and focus on Trey Lance, that there is a feeling in the organization. And maybe scared. Kyle kind of feels this way too. Let's keep Jimmy around. Let's keep Jimmy around because maybe Jimmy is our better option for
2: 2022. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, 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 you know. You talk about the Trey Lance part of it and the pressure on him. And that's real. You're right. It's tangible. I mean, again, it's, you know, three first rounders for a player. I mean, only the elite of the elite get that. I mean, that that's, I mean, nobody really gets that. There's nobody in the NFL that would get that other than the Aaron Rodgers, the Mahomes of the world, anybody. So yeah, there's pressure there. More pressure on Shanahan. He's the guy that made the deal when it's supposed to see the talent and the guy's got to be worth the three first round picks. So, that's where it's a a very dicey situation where, yeah, I think Shanahan, because of that pressure and all of that, wanted it to happen last year in that specific game you're talking about. And Lance was all over the place and missed a lot of throws and had balls that, yes, were dropped, but you go, man, he threw the ball 100 miles per hour, and the guy was five feet in front of him. And I think that's when he realized, oh, wow, he's not ready for primetime. And I'm sure that scared him a little bit and put pressure on the situation. And now there's just even more to the situation and, man, there's a lot of moving parts here and a lot of things they got to deal with. For a very good football team, uh, they they got a big issue here. Something
1: else that Peter King and I talked about on Friday, this narrative that has kind of gotten baked into the overall coverage of the NFL, that Jimmy Garoppolo's a nice guy and Jimmy's going to do whatever the 49ers wanted to do. Meanwhile, yeah. he's going on shows like Adam Schein saying, I wouldn't wish last year on anyone. He goes out and has his shoulder surgery without telling the team to put the kibosh on a trade. I think Jimmy's hatching his own plan to get what he wants in San Francisco. And Chris, the worst case scenario for him is they keep him around. Lance wins the job. They go to him late August, early September, and say, "Hey Jimmy, we can't keep you at twenty-five million. We'll pay you ten. Can't pay you twenty-five because you're not the starter. So you either take that reduction, or we're gonna cut you. Oh, and everybody else has their depth charts set. Good luck finding a job." Th- that's why I think he needs to be a little more aggressive in forcing this to a head. You don't want to just go along and find yourself being told to get along down the highway
2: when week one rolls around and they don't want to pay a twenty five million. Yeah, it, it's an interesting discussion. I mean, it is. Uh, it's It's one where you go you, you can make sense a little bit from Jimmy if you put yourself in Jimmy Garoppolo's shoes to where you go, it, it's not the worst option in the world. But at the same time, uh, you're gonna. If I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm looking at that, going, "Man, I mean, I brought this team to the Super Bowl, went to an NFC Championship game, and here they are gonna screw me. Like, do I really want to do them any favors? Do I really want to do any favors for this team, these guys? Let them off the hook? If Trey Lance does run around, you know, like a chicken with his head cut off, and hurts his knee, and now they got me, and oh, I have to play the whole year, but I got screwed over on my money, and here I am playing good again. I, I have a hard time thinking he'll be able to do that just even with the comments he made a few weeks ago i would wish that on no one i just don't think he's gonna want to deal with it. i think he's he's got enough money here to go you know what screw the 10 million i don't care i don't want to deal with it and i know that's a really bold statement but man i i would certainly be thinking that if i was in in his shoes he has every reason to try to get out of there now just like baker mayfield at least baker mayfield knows he's
1: getting 18.8 there's a way that this falls out for Jimmy G where he never sees 25. Yeah. He may have a hard time seeing five depending upon when the 49ers would move on from him. Then again, there's the possibility he will be the starter. It's a weird situation. And yeah. and this whole he's a nice guy thing, that's a 49ers talking point that some in the media, some who are on the payroll directly or indirectly, of the 49ers are pushing – I don't buy that nice guy stuff. We haven't seen the actions to back it up, and it's not in his best interest to just go along. It's not. They're going to make the decisions that are in the best interest of the team. Jimmy's got to make the decisions that are in the best interest of Jimmy. And uh, that's why you have an agent. You let the agent be the bad guy. But um, th- this whole, oh, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with you You know, just keeping me around. You're waiting for a catastrophic knee injury, and then you're going to get into a fight with the Browns to see who can work. Th- no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Just cut me. Just let me go. Just let me go. And then maybe he signs with the Texans, and he turns a four-win team into a nine-win team. So I, I-, I think he's got more reason than Baker Mayfield to push this
2: to a head. Yeah, I, th- you're, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, it's, it's right up there with it. No question. You know, he he's, he has every right to be pissed off and want to get get the hell out of there and do this team no favors, and I, he's going to have to play hardball. Uh, I think for to your point, I, 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 this is one where as Cleveland, I can't see them really ultimately hanging on to Baker Mayfield. The Forty ers I can legitimately see them hanging on to Garoppolo to like to what you're saying to the end of training camp and kind of screwing him over there. And if he's going to be kind of just quiet, you know, good soldier, whatever, being able to deal with it. You know, yeah, that's going to make life a lot easier on the 49ers than having to deal with that whole situation. I, I wouldn't let them get away with that if I'm Jimmy G. And it's not deliberately screwing him
1: over. It's taking full advantage yeah, of their, the contract the, yes, that they right, have. Right. It's, it's back to what I was saying. You're treating these players like property, San Francisco and Cleveland, that he's your property, and we're going to keep him here. Even though we've made this huge investment in Trey Lance, we have the ability because he has no guaranteed money, and it doesn't vest. The $25 million doesn't vest until week one. We can play this out. And then we can go to him and say, you take 10 or you take a hike. And that's in the best interest of the team. And my my overriding point is the team will always do what's in its best interest. The players need to do what's in their best interest, too. And I think it's in Jimmy's best interest to try to get the hell out of there because it's not like the 49ers have to pay him if he's not there. That's the one big difference between San Francisco and Cleveland in this quarterback situation. Let's take a break. When we return, Chris's favorite segment of the week, I believe. USFL highlights. <laughs> we'll do that when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
2: I feel like this is the best system for me. And the playbook is, is you know, you, I've, I've figured out, like, you can't really stop our playbook. You know, it's just something, it's just everything about the plays just is a way for us to attack the defense in every type of way.
1: Sky Moore, we number 24 for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's part of this number revolution, and you don't expect to see a receiver in 24. I like it, though. I like I do it. Too. I, I, I am not going to go get off my lawn. I'd like to see even more flexibility in the wearing of numbers. We don't have a whole lot of flexibility on time here because we talked too much earlier in the show. This draft today, the rookies we can't wait to see in action in 2022. Chris, the first pick is yours.
2: Okay, well, I, I, I'm i going to go with the obvious one here. I, I mean, the, the Christian Watson, top of the second round, the Green Bay Packers, the guy that, you know. I don't know it, how
1: obvious that is. How's that well, obvious? I, guess, I wouldn't say that's right, obvious. Good. you're right. You're, it's not even it,
2: a first-round pick. You're right, okay. You know why I say it's obvious? I feel like because I feel like I've talked about it a few times with it and like that, but for, for me, that's one I can't wait to see in action for a lot of reasons. One, he's extremely talented, and yeah, I thought he was the second-best receiver in the draft this year, you know. Two, yeah, he's from small school. So, wait, I want to see if it – I thought it definitely is going to translate. I just want to make sure. I want to see that part. Small school, North Dakota State. Hey, all right, now he's in the NFL. What's what's the the transition going to be like? And then I think ultimately just why I want to see it, of course, is for the obvious and the fact that we know that they don't really have a slam dunk number one receiver up there in Green Bay. And this guy will clearly be the most talented guy on the roster – and just to see how it, hits, how it starts off and kind of the role they you know, assemble for him, I'm very excited to see that for, for a lot of different reasons, let alone the talent the guy has.
1: Easy one for me, Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he's going to be the week one starter. I think Mike Tomlin's going to do everything he can to get him ready to go. He'll beat out Mitchell Trubisky. He'll be the guy. I want to see what he can do. They believe in him. They're not troubled by the hand size issue. They think he can play. They know him very well from his time with Pitt. It's a great story that he got to stay in town in the same building, literally, where they play and where they practice. I can't wait to see what Pickett does.
2: Yeah, I hear that. I mean, that's definitely one of the, the big, like, you know question marks or talking points of the draft just you know pick it how talented is he we know he's a pro all of that he's played in a pro offense uh but uh, i'm with you we'll we'll all have our bright lights on that one um I, I think kenneth walker for the seattle seahawks is the guy that i'm i can't wait to see in action more than anybody ken 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 he likes ken Ken. All right. He wants Ken now? All right, cool. I'm down with Ken. Ken Walker, though, that, I mean, that, that to me was one of my favorite people to evaluate in this whole draft, was were hands down the best between-the-tackles runner in the draft. I know Brees Hall, you know, yes, he catches the ball to the backfield. and A lot of the media people loved him. I, the teams I knew in football, the majority of them had Ken Walker as the number one running back in the draft, and Brees Hall was two. Now, I'm excited to see him. You know up in Seattle, they're going to run him and try to base the offense around him and he's exciting, Mike. Like we've talked about, I mean, he can he can run you over, break your ankles or run by you. He's got a special special skill set. After his first rookie
1: minicamp practice this weekend, Pete Carroll oh, I heard. to comment on Walker's performance and he said he has a
2: rocket. Not up his ass. He did not say that like you do, but he did say he has a rocket. It's a rocket. It's it's two and a half rockets up his ass. So it's there. I'll say it for Pete. It's borderline three. It's rare to see a guy <laughs> that kind of power who can go eighty yards to the house. It's very rare. That's where I'm. I'm. I'm pumped to see this kid. Between him and Rashad Penny,
1: who came on last year, they got Travis Homer. Yeah, right. They got DJ Dallas, Chris Carson. I don't. I, I think the fact that they drafted Walker tells you that they don't expect much from Carson. He had the neck problem last year, but defense running game quarterback is an afterthought another reason why they're not after a quarterback i'm gonna go and i'm gonna i you know what i i I gotta i gotta go to the top of the draft with aiden hutchinson the guy who i thought about that carved out of a block of granite to play for the detroit lions the embodiment of what this team is trying to become they ran the the as we said they should and as others said they should they ran the card to the podium and pissed off the league because the league wants to let (laughs) they want to let let some commercials first night of the draft (laughs) marinate a little bit we want a little uncertainty here we don't want a 10 pick backlog take your 10 minutes not 10 seconds lions they can't wait to see him in uniform I can't wait to see what he does for the lions
2: yeah I'm with you there all the way it just seems like a match made in heaven like we talked about the day after the draft so that's it's perfect and I, I can't wait to see it either Round three of our
1: draft of the Rookies We Can't Wait to See in 2022 when PFT Live concludes right after this. Okay, there's the selection so far. The Rookies We
2: Can't Wait to See in action in 2022. Chris, you're up for round three. All right, I'm going to have some fun here. You know, There's some ones here that i am certainly got like my bright lights on, but this one's like, I just can't wait to see this because I want to see this on the field. Jordan Davis, I cannot wait to see him on the field for the Philadelphia Eagles, all right? Because first off, he's just a monster of a human being and, like, an unreal athlete. But you put his big ass next to Fletcher Cox's big ass and then you put it next to Javon Hargrove's big ass, That'll be the biggest three asses in the history of football on a defensive line all at one time. I want to see that. I want to see the end zone cut. I'm going to show everybody week one of the NFL season. We're going to get an end zone cut. I'm going to look and go, look at the size of these guys' asses, and this is why no one can run on the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what I want to see. So I'm kind of excited for that. It's a
1: lovely, it's a lovely, <laughs> thank lovely you. thought. I'm going to go one <laughs> pick after. I thought you were going where I'm going. Kyle Hamilton. The great safety from Notre yeah, Dame goes yeah. into the Ravens. Uh, just like the perfect, it's one of those picks where when he landed there, it's like, man, this is yeah, perfect. How did Why happen? didn't we see this coming? Right. Yeah. Now they wanted Jordan Davis. They got leapfrogged by the Eagles. But but Kyle Hamilton is going to be perfect there, and and just the impact that he can make, the coaching he's going to get, the way he's going to perform from a defensive perspective. But we we've gone with we've gone half the draft with defensive players it's a it's an offensive league but you know it's two sides to it you got to have a good defense if you want to win um chris they announced today monday night doubleheader week two bills titans at 7 15 eastern on espn and then at 8 30 eastern on abc wow vikings at eagles overlap
2: between the two games interesting overlap interesting like not back to back
1: interesting that it's
2: week two and it's overlap you know I mean, it, it'll be great. The Titans-Bills game will definitely be center stage on my TV, and I'll be rooting for the Eagles to crap on your Vikings. It'll be great, great night. You get to see those three big asses lined <laughs> exactly. up, one, one after another, on national to tie it together. TV on ABC. <laughs> right, right. There we go. Uh,
1: but, but you know, they're going to do this more and more often. Not a six-hour odyssey, but overlap Monday night games. We are done. See you tomorrow. See you. Have a day.